The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. It is Monday night. We're recording this during Monday Night Football because uh, we're pretty sure that the Drew Locke-led Seahawks are not going to drastically change everything that we talk about tonight. Uh, but we are discussing the Hunters in the playoff race right now, meaning the teams that are on the bubble, uh, you know, kind of just barely on the outside looking in in the playoff picture for the AFC and the NFC. And we're going to talk about what they have to do over the next three weeks to kind of put their foot on the gas pedal and get in to the big dance. EJ, how you doing? Good. We thought this was going to be simpler. We thought that this would be a more pared down slate of teams that more things would be decided by now. But damn it, if the NFL doesn't love parody every week, this slate changes. We get to talk about some of the more intriguing teams that have sort of nudged their way into the back end of that conversation. Like, don't forget, we could still do it. And Usually by this time, it feels like those are more like far-fetched scenarios. And there are a bunch of them that are like, no, nah, you know, they get two wins that they're going to make it happen. And you're like, all right. So should be a fun episode. Looking at the current playoff snapshot in terms of who's in, uh, or at least who's clinched. We only have four teams that are clinched so far. The Ravens, the Eagles, the 49ers, and the Cowboys. Uh, the Dolphins haven't clinched yet, but they're getting pretty darn close. They're leading the East right now. The Jags are technically leading the South, even though there's three teams tied at eight wins right now. Leading. Yeah, they're hanging on for dear life. Uh, in the West, the Chiefs are obviously leading there. The North, the NFC North, I should say, the Lions are in front. And in the South, the Buccaneers are slowly but surely tightening their grip on that division. Again, on the outside looking in, there is a whole slew of teams. We won't get to talk explicitly about all of them today, but pretty much all of them play each other over the last three weeks, so everybody's going to get their time to shine in this episode. We're going to start off in the AFC with a team that, I, I mean, the best way I could describe them is refuses to die. That is the Cleveland Browns. They are banged up. They are on, I think, their fourth quarterback at this point and arguably the one that's played the best so far this year. Uh, they've got a tattered offensive line. Their defense is dinged up but still playing excellent, and this team just will not go away. They still have a pretty decent shot of making the playoffs. Uh, right now, they are the five seed in the AFC, and over the last three weeks, their schedule is against the Texans, Jets, and then they finish at Cincinnati on the road, who we're going to get to in just a second as well. EJ, your key for the Browns defying all odds, all the injuries, and making the playoffs in January. I can't say moving closer to a hospital, but I wish I could because <laughs> the stat that came up in the game yesterday was the highest percentage of their salary cap is on IR in the entire league, and it's not not terribly close. When you start thinking about the players that they had injured even earlier in the year, not over the last couple of weeks, that makes a ton of sense. Some very highly paid players who have missed quite a few games, and that'll rack up that statistic for them. But I think their key to getting in is just what you mentioned, the fourth quarterback playing for them, Joe Flacco, the ageless, the oldest quarterback currently playing in the NFL at 38 and a half. They've just got to hope the magic holds up He's got three very good defenses. They're going to go as far as he takes them. He has been playing very good football, but not perfect football. He has gotten away with some. He got away with a throw against Chicago that was an absolute 
keyhole between the safety, the corner, and the linebacker. And he did fit it in, but they're not all going to fit in like that. So they've just got to hope that the fairy dust doesn't run out on Joe Flacco or his arm, or that he doesn't get hurt like the rest of the team, and stay away from turnovers. They recovered against the Bears. He threw a bunch of interceptions, but barely. Yes, pun intended. And they're going to lose those games against better teams. They're not going to be able to come back from that. So he's got to be... He's, it's it's a weird fine line with Flacco. He's got to take those chances for them to win. That's the reason they're winning right now. But man, has he been close to some turnover-worthy plays. And I mean like half an inch, like close, close. They've really had to lean on him because they... Well, especially against Chicago, they couldn't run the ball. Like that, that became very clear very, very early on. Which, to be fair, most teams don't run the ball in Chicago. They're one of the very best run defenses in the NFL. Even when Chicago was at their lowest, they were still a very good run defense. And now they're a straight up elite run defense. And so they kind of had to lean on, on you know, older Flacco magic and just hoping that it all worked out. And it did. But going up against the Texans this week. And small side note, uh, the Texans are not a team that we're highlighting in this episode, but they will come up frequently because two of the teams that we are talking about are playing against Houston in the last three weeks. Um, But it's probably going to be an even tougher task against Houston because they are tied with Chicago in terms of yards per attempt allowed at three and a half. Uh, That's second best in the NFL. And they are eighth in explosive run percentage allowed. Chicago's sixth. So uh, very similar, uh, very similarly effective run defense. Structurally, it's different. Houston spends a lot more times in court, a lot more, uh, a lot higher percentage of their time, I should say, in uh, in two high safety looks, specifically quarters or or quarter quarter half. And they're still very good against the run because their edges are just badasses. Uh, whether it's Grenard, whether it's Will Anderson, um, like you, you can't really play that that too high safety style and stop the run without having edges that can completely dominate the line of scrimmage, and Houston does, so they're very very good against the run. Um, so for for Cleveland, they're going to have to either a figure out a way to get production on the ground against Houston, which good luck with that, or b Flacco is going to have to keep pace with likely the return of C.J. Stroud and Nico Collins this week. We're not entirely sure. Nico, you know, he could have, he, there were thoughts he was going to come back last week, but Houston wanted to save him uh, and make sure he was 100% before he came back. And then uh, Stroud is still in the concussion protocol, but it's a decent chance he's going to play. So all that to say, higher likelihood this week that it's going to be Stroud plus Nico Collins setting the pace for Flacco without the help of a consistent run game going against this Texans defense. I'm just trying to impress upon everybody how hard this game is going to be for them to win. But if they win this game, it's probably the hardest one left on the schedule. And I think their odds of making the playoffs go way, way, way up, uh, especially if they knock Houston out of... um, I don't want to say completely out of contention, but it would be a huge blow to Houston's chances of making the playoffs if they lose this game. So this, to me, is a playoff game for Cleveland, and it's also a playoff game for Houston. It's their toughest remaining game, but if they pull it off, if Joe Flacco still has that magic left in him, I don't want to say it's smooth sailing the rest of the way, but it sure gets a lot easier. It's funny, I went through these slates of the six teams of the three weeks remaining for each of them, and I tried to pick one that was the easiest and one that was the hardest, and I gave up because each of them have a couple of tripping points. There is no team on this list that's like, oh, yeah, no problem, they're going to cruise. There are teams they've played poorly against earlier in this season. There are teams that are playing much better uh, than the last time they faced them. All of these schedules are fraught. There is no easy golden road sort of paved path for any of these six teams. Uh, Next up, keeping in the AFC North, Cincinnati Bengals, who play against the Browns in the last week. And that one might end up determining who gets in and who doesn't, depending on what happens with the AFC South. Um, This is a team I still, week to week, am struggling to figure out. I thought that Reader going out early in the last game was going to completely wreck them. And to their credit, they bowed up. 
and and still had a, a very inspired performance against Minnesota. You know, forced some turnovers. Um, you know, gave Browning a chance to win the game, and then Browning won the game, even with Jamar Chase on the sidelines with what has reported to be an AC joint sprain. So, you know, you're losing two of your five best players in the entire team, maybe even two of the four best players in the entire team, and still beating a a tough, tough Minnesota uh, squad there. And so I'm still struggling to try to figure out exactly how far uh, Cincinnati can go because just like Cleveland, they kind of refuse to die. Like we completely wrote them off. Like after after Burrow got hurt, we completely left them for dead. And here they are sitting right now at the sixth seed in, in one of the most improbable late season surges that I can remember in a while. And I, I don't want to say it's impossible uh, for them to maintain this position, even though they do have to play against KC. And of course, they have two division games wrapped around that KC game. Of course, it's going to be tough, but... I mean, shit, they made it this far against all odds, and and here they are. So who's to say they can't keep just somehow improbably winning and making it in? Not me, because the game for me, you were talking, uh, when you're talking about the Browns, you're talking about this game against the Texans being basically a playoff game. To me, for the Bengals, that was last week. That was the Vikings. Like, they needed to beat the Vikings, and if they didn't, their odds weren't going to be very good. And the Vikings played well. Like the Vikings put together a great day on the ground. We'll talk about that in a little bit. And, you know, Nick Mullins was not super careful with the ball, but they put up a bunch of points. The Bengals had to work for this one. And, you know, albeit a little bit of a T. Higgins miracle, shout out to T. Higgins for one of the most amazing sort of catches slash scoring combo plays in the league this entire year. But here's the Bengals, and they already beat the Vikings last week. The Steelers are limping along. Again, perfect trap game. AFC North, they love to beat the hell out of each other. But I think the Bengals in their current state can knock off the Steelers. Chiefs, going to be a struggle. Chiefs are starting to figure it out. And then that final week game against the Browns, the schedule makers love blood. So they put up the AFC North grudge match. Bengals-Browns to see who gets in. But... When you look at this Bengals team and what they continue to do without some of their top tier talent and how well Browning just continues to kind of flip his middle finger at the rest of the league and say, as he did yesterday, loudly on the sideline, you shouldn't have cut me. You know, he's got something to prove. Anarumo and the defense are rallying. They realize that they don't have to play perfect football because Jake Browning is going to put up some points. So they've got a little bit more. Uh, you know, room for error. They can play a little bit looser. They can blitz a couple more times. And if they get burned, it's not the end of the game. So the whole team has just kind of gelled behind Browning and realized like, hey, it's not Joe, but we're not dead yet. And that's been a surprise, not only to us, but obviously to the teams they're playing like Minnesota. Uh, All three remaining games left on their schedule are against teams that are top 10 in man coverage uh, played. Specifically, the Browns are first because, of course, they are. They're the Browns. The Steelers are fifth, and the Chiefs are tenth. Uh, very, very man coverage, man coverage heavy schedule. When we don't know what Jamar Chase's status is, if it's a grade one AC sprain, which I think both of us actually have experience with those, like he can play, but it's going to hurt. It's going to hurt a lot, and he's going to need some sort of injection to get through that one. If it's grade two, no way. Like it, it's it's not, I don't even think it's physically possible if it's a grade two. I mean, sure it is, is, but he's going to be high as a kite if he's out there. <laughs> like there's no way. Um, and so we don't know exactly like how bad it is. But what really concerns me is that if they're going, uh, if they're going up against Cleveland in week 18 with a playoff spot on the line, when Cleveland earlier this year showed that they could sit back and play cover one 60% of the time, even when the receivers were healthy and everybody was going to get covered up. And I know Burrow was hurt in that game. I get it. Like that affected things, but it's not like anybody was open. Like it's very easily argued that that's the best secondary in the NFL going up against a very good receiving core in Cincy and blanketed them every single third down, every single shot opportunity. Like there was nothing there. 
And so if Jamar is banged up, or worst case scenario, if Jamar's not on the field and you're relying on T. Higgins to be a superhero all by himself against a very, very, very good Browns defense, which with Browning, you know, praying to God that he's going to make plays like he did against Minnesota every time he throws it up there. Again, not saying it's impossible because the Bengals so far have done what I thought was impossible. But it's tough. Like, it's... It's hard for me to think that this luck is going to keep going forever, and I'm just kind of waiting for the moment when it stops. We just keep waiting, though, so it just keeps going. They have to take two out of three. They got to win the Steelers game. They got to win either Chiefs or Browns. I don't think they'll win both. Both of those games are tough for different reasons. They could win either one of them. But neither of them, like I said, when I looked at them and looked at the remaining slate, did I go, oh, yeah, that's two out of three, no problem. Like one out of three, I think they got it. Two out of three, they have to have two out of three if their chances are going to be maintained. You know, they'd rather have the one against the Browns because it's a divisional game and it counts for two. But it's not going to be easy and they're going to have to continue to do what we thought was impossible. Next up on the docket, we got the fighting Shane Steikens over in Indianapolis. Uh, and if you think Eagles fans are mad that they let Shane Steichen walk out that door, just wait till you see Chargers fans, man. He was there for like eight years. You know, Justin Herbert explicitly asked them to retain Shane Steichen uh, when they when they changed regimes after his rookie oh. year. And uh, they said no. Whoops. Yeah, yeah. Not, not a great call by them. Uh, and he's... I don't want to say he's coach of the year because D'Amico Ryans could also very easily win it. Um, There's actually several candidates that are very deserving. And I don't think coach of the year is locked up at all. But his name's definitely at the top of the list in terms of consideration. If you look at the coaching job that he's done, you know, with Gardner Minshew being his starter for most of the year, not all the year, but most of the year, um, you know, with the injuries that they've sustained, especially at the running back position, you know, with Pittman uh, getting nicked up here and there. It's it's actually kind of phenomenal that the Colts are even in contention to outright win the division and be a double-digit team here. I shudder to think what they would have looked like with a healthy Anthony Richardson because even though we haven't seen much of him, I flat out think he's better than Gardner Minshew. Like, I, I really do. And when you also add in what he gives you in the run game too, when you add in... Um, you know, what he can give you in the red zone and, you know, short yarded situation and everything like that. Like this team's going to win 10 games probably. And their best quarterback hasn't been on the field since September. Like that's an incredible coaching job by Steichen. I think they're going to be phenomenal next year. I'm going to say some really irresponsible things in the summer series. I might go back to the prediction that I had a couple years ago when I thought they were going to be a 13-win team. I think now they're <laughs> really going to be a 13-win team next year. No, um, really. I mean it this <laughs> I time. I promise. This time, it's it's real. But they're really, really good. Um, and they're not even close to their ceiling. Like, that's that's how much I believe in Shane Steichen. Is like, I see the vision. They're not all the way there in terms of accumulated talent, but they're not that far off. And once they get there... This organization is going to be a powerhouse. In the meantime, though, again, you got three games left against the Falcons, Raiders, and Texans. That last Texans game could be for the division crown. We'll see. Um, Again, I don't want to say they're locked up in terms of playoff spot. I would say out of a lot of the teams we've talked about or will talk about today, they have some of the highest odds just because I believe in what they are as a team, and I think that their schedule is manageable. Um... But for you, in terms of what keys they have to act on to to actually punch their ticket to the show, what would you say they have to prioritize? I think manageable is a really good term there because it's not easy. It might be the easiest of these slates, but by no means for the reasons you stated easy. Steichen needs to keep the points coming. Indianapolis has been scoring points. Uh, none of the final three teams on their Their schedule are big scoring threats. Obviously, the Texans are a much larger scoring threat. If Stroud is healthy, that's really going to be a showdown if that's the case. So 
if he can just outrun them on O and keep scheming the Colts into the end zone, they have a fighting chance here because they are not facing offensive powerhouses. Arthur Smith is doing the best to sub the Falcons all by himself. Raiders, uh, we're not going to take what they did against the Chargers as canon in terms of what they can do for offense. (laughs) And the Texans have been banged up and haven't been scoring a ton. Obviously, if C.J. Stroud comes back, the lid goes way, way up on the amount of points they can score. But um, they're right around the 30-point mark for the Colts. Two out of the last three, they've scored right around 30 points. Uh, if they score 30 in those final three games, they're likely to win at least two of them, if not all three of them. So Steichen's got to keep doing what he's been doing, honestly, since September. There were designs in September when AR was in there, and I was like, oh, man, he's in his bag already. Like it was, it was disheartening because at the time the bears were, you know, completely stumbling out of the gate and had had all summer to install their system. And here comes a rookie head coach with a rookie quarterback and the Colts offense was humming in September. I mean, it wasn't quite all gelled, but you could see already that he was going to call a hell of a year uh, if he could just keep ahead of the pace. And now everybody's got all the tape and it's look, it is hard in the NFL to keep to keep it original, to keep it fresh, to keep teams, you know, off balance. He's got to call three good games where he dials up somewhere between 27 and 35 points. And if they do, I think the Colts, like you do, are one of the teams that's more likely to advance. When I look at how the Colts score in the games where they're generally uh, successful, because again, it's not just about uh, scoring, I think it's how they score that's really going to make the difference because the one thing that I think can come back to bite them is Gardner Minshew turnovers, right? He's <laughs> top right. five in turnover-worthy plays, which we've talked about several times this year. Even though he hasn't started every game, he's still top five in turnover-worthy plays. The guy loves to either give the ball away or get really close to giving the ball away. And if there's one thing that's going to derail them, it's that. Because their defense is fine, It's not bad, but I would say it's middle of the pack in a lot of the metrics that matter. Uh, The one thing that they're really like top 10 elite at is uh, is like pass rush win rate. Like they can really get after the passer when they need to, but they kind of have to build a lead first and it's harder to build a lead if you're giving the ball away. So uh, for me, in terms of how they score points to also protect themselves and protect their defense, it's run the ball because they kind of need to save Gardner Minshew from himself and just not not force him into situations where he has to say, cool, it's Gardner Minshew time. We don't want it to be Gardner Minshew time. We never want it to be Gardner Minshew time. We want it to be like Trey Sermon time or Jonathan Taylor time when he gets back. Uh, I mean, shit, with Trey Sermon and, and Tyler Goodson, they put up 32 carries for a buck 70 against mm-hmm. Pittsburgh. Like that's that's the game they need to play. Run the ball, control the clock, keep your own defense off the field so that they're nice and fresh. If you could build a lead, great, because they can rush the passer. Like, that, that is their formula. If they stray from that formula and Gardner's got to throw bombs, which for him sometimes means throwing hospital balls that get Michael Pittman hurt, you're in trouble. Like, that's not what you want. So they have to win a very specific way, but luckily for them, it's a way that they're more than capable of doing. As far as them being able to go far in January with that, tough. Like, not impossible, but tough. But I think they can at least get there and prove to the fandom that, hey, this was a building block season. We're only going to get better because we still have a young quarterback who's a freak and a potential superstar. You know, clearly we know what we're doing when we're drafting. They have a bunch of young talent that's still kind of coming of age. Like, this is one of those teams where... I think the fans would would appreciate just getting to the playoffs and showing that they can win and establishing a winning culture. And then we'll worry about going on a run, like a true run in future years, because we acknowledge that Gardner Minshew is probably not going to do that. But Anthony Richardson might in 2024. It's ironic to me that for a bunch of the show, we're going to start talking about running backs. <laughs> we're yes. going to start talking about successful running attacks. All year, all summer, we're like, nope, it's not that important. We get to December, we're like, they got to run the ball. We're going to get to the next <laughs> team. We're going to be like, you know what? They've been really good at running the ball. They haven't. They didn't run the ball in the beginning of the year. Now they're running the ball. They need to keep doing it. The Bills just ran the hell over the Cowboys by 
oh, right, running the hell out of the ball, which they didn't do at the beginning of the year. So the calendar turns, it gets colder, we get towards the playoffs, and suddenly it's like, do you have any running backs? Are they any good? Start using them. You should do that. And one of the big reasons for that, as we go over to the NFC, talking about the Minnesota Vikings, uh, one of the reasons for that is because, actually, I'm going to let you take a guess on this, EJ. Okay. How many quarterbacks do you think have started games in the NFL this year? 15 weeks into it. Oh, geez. Total? Total. 42. <laughs> oh, man. Not even close. 73. Jeez. 73 quarterbacks have started games in the NFL. Which, again, your answer is very common. Because everybody's like, oh, yeah, there's 32 teams and some teams have had to start another guy like nope 73 because there are some well, i mean teams. the browns took up four so they're they are taking up more than their share and so do the vikings at least i yes, think it's four true. it might have been three yeah. i can't remember what there was a whole dobbs carousel going on. i think technically it's four for me oh, it's four no because uh jaron hall right yeah so I, pastronaut <laughs> jaron hall kirk and now mullins so so you know there are some teams that have been really going through it this year and Minnesota early on in the year when they had Kirk, they could get away with being the worst rushing attack in the NFL by far when they were averaging off the top of my head. It was like 55 yards a game rushing something oh, like that in the first six less weeks. than that. We, we called them out in the first month. We were like, they're not even trying. They had they had games where they had like eight attempts. Yeah. Cause they, they had like, Kirk and they're like, whatever, we'll figure it out. And to their credit, they did. Yeah. It was but working. Then but things then. got dicey four quarterbacks later. Uh, and now it's it's got to be the Ty Chandler show and the and the Flores show, which, again, is not an impossible task. They have to hit a lot of green lights and thread a lot of needles, but it's doable. But looking at their last three games, all being division games against yep. Detroit twice and the Packers. You're you're going to need a, a pretty Herculean performance from Ty Chandler to to pull this off because I do not trust Nick Mullins to to not fuck this up somehow with turnovers. Like Nick Mullins is not your classic like oh he's coming in he'll manage the game he'll be safe with the ball like that's not Mick, Nick Mullins okay he's the kind of quarterback that when he gets in he's like he's going Uncle Rico with it okay he's gonna put his stamp on the game for better or worse and most of the time it's worse and and we saw that play out last week. So you kind of got to save Nick Mullins from himself, just like Gardner Minshew and run the ball. But this is not a team that that has done that very well for most of the year. So I'm looking at that all division game slate coming down the pipe here and saying, maybe the schedule is probably the biggest bump. Uh, three quality teams. Packers have been a little bit up and down, but they've definitely shown more quality in the second half of the season. Jordan Love, if he comes in and gets hot, like it is going to be a tough out for sure. And playing the Lions twice in three weeks is no picnic. Like a Dan Campbell team in general is, you know, to coin a phrase or to borrow a phrase, I should say, they're going to bite your kneecaps off. And <laughs> they're going to do it twice in three weeks. And that's that's not a fun experience. So the Vikings are going to have to be perfect. You said thread needles. They're going to have to rely on Ty Chandler. And I think the way you sell that to a Nick Mullins is we're going to rely on Ty Chandler, A, because it's successful and we've been really good and Christian Derrissaw is digging it. Uh, but B, we're going to build play action shots in for you because we're not going to forget about the fact that we have Justin Jefferson. We're not going to forget about the other receivers and our all-world tight end. But we don't want you throwing the ball 38 times a game. Like, Can't you're just... It. We're just not going to say that to him. We're going to make that last part, the quiet part that we don't say out loud, but we're going to say we're going to run the ball, not to take it out of your hands, Nick, but to make those play action shots to those four guys even more deadly. How does that sound? And that's really the way they have to play it. And if they can stay to that script and Flores can keep bringing the pressure that he's been able to bring on defense to stymie those offenses and, and just knock them down a peg a bit, like that's that's what they need to do. I'm not sure they can. It 
probably is the narrowest approach. This is like coming in over the mountains to the short strip on a rainy night, trying to just set that thing down in the perfect patch. They're going to have to if they want to make the playoffs. It's again, the schedule makers just wanted blood when they put this together. They're like, yeah, let's give them all three division games to finish the slate in and two against the team we think is going to be really, really good. Uh, they're sitting at 7-7 seven, seven right now in the sixth seed. Right behind them is Green Bay, which, again, they play in two weeks. Uh, New Orleans at 7-7, seven and seven, which we'll talk about in a second as well. The Rams are also at 7-7, seven and seven, which are sitting at the seventh seed. Go figure. We're talking about them as well. Uh, Seattle is sitting at 6-7. and seven. If they somehow beat the Eagles, which I'm watching that game right now, and not going well <laughs> so far, uh, if they somehow beat Shocker. the Eagles, they might be back into it. Um, and then and then Atlanta is still somehow mathematically hanging on at 6-8. and eight, Which, By the way, did you watch that Falcons-Panthers game? Yeah. Dude. Dude. <laughs> Job on the line, and you're, and you're out touching uh Bijan Robinson two to one with Tyler Algier and I love Tyler Algier but like why the fuck did you even draft Bijan if you're gonna do that with your job on the line you know yeah let's give a him a season game. low a season low in touches in terms of percentage of the offense like you can rationalize it a couple of times earlier in the season He's still getting up to speed on the playbook. Uh, you know, Tyler reads the blockers better. All that stuff works for like the first like six or eight weeks. In week 15, like you said, in an inclement game, you're out of all that bullshit. Like you're done. None of that flies anymore. Just give him the damn ball. That's why you draft him is literally for games like that one, right? And if not, in then the top why? 10, like, I, you know, it would be a little different. Not much, but if he got drafted at like 28 or, you know, if he slipped to the second round and he was 34th or something. But he wasn't. Yeah. He was in the top 10 and you're like, uh, blah, 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 blah. it doesn't matter at this point. It's all gobbledygook. Guy's a great player. He's been effective for you. It's not like he's one of those rookies that hasn't performed when you've given him the ball, he's been very productive. Like, there's no reasoning besides, I don't want to. Yeah, it's, oh, God, I I could yeah. write a whole dissertation on Arthur Smith's approach to personnel and touch distribution this year. It's It it might cost him his job just, just for doing that in that specific game. Because, like, you lose to this Carolina team, this Carolina team, you lose to them. Sorry. Heads roll for that. Anyway, back to the Vikings. <laughs> <laughs> Tangent aside, back to the Vikings. Uh, because they do play the Lions twice, I kind of want to focus on that matchup. Uh, the Lions are very man coverage heavy in their own right. Uh, seventh in uh, cover one calls the entire NFL. Uh, and really just tend to stick to middle field close structures. It's like a 55% split for them for middle field close versus middle field open. Uh, actually maybe even slightly higher than that. Um, and they do that a, to help play the run, but especially all the man coverage they play is to simplify how they play the run. Right. So motions don't kind of screw them up that much. It's just, that's my guy. That's your guy. Linebackers watch the running back. If he releases fast, one of you go, but like you're the fit. I don't again, I don't want to say the fits are simple, but the fits are. I mean, yeah, Let's the kind of fits are simple. Down. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like they they just play you straight up, like they really do. Like even even uh, when they're in uh, middle field closed structures, they're not one of the teams that starts out in middle field open, like in a too high look, and then rotates down. Like they don't do that. Twenty five percent of the time when they're in middle field open, uh, will they roll down to play cover one? which isn't that high if you're comparing it to, say, the Rams, who do it all the time. It's like yeah. 75 80%, something like that. Uh, and so like when, when they're presenting middle field close, pre-snap, and man coverage, pre-snap, believe them. That's what they're doing. They're not trying to fuck with you. Like That's what they're in, and they're telling you that's what they're in. And that will provide an opportunity... You know, you mentioned dialing up a shot play off, off play action. If Nick Mullins sees that pre-snap, he can 
he can trust it. Like he, he can trust that that's what they're in. And so he can look around, dial up, you know, whatever their call is that they have installed for that week. And just say, Justin, go win because you're going to be one-on-one and there's less chance of me throwing a pick if it's a one-on-one versus me throwing into his own coverage. Uh, like I, I'm sure I, that's the way he sells it in the huddle. I'm sure. Yeah, no, that's the, that's the pregame speech of like, Justin, you're going to get one-on-one. I'm probably not going to throw a pick. Please save my ass. Thank you very much. <laughs> but like that's that's what they have to do, which is run the ball, trust the pre-snap look because they're not a very tricky defense, and then execute when they get their one-on-ones. Like, yeah, they have to hit those shots when they get them because they're not they're not just going to generate enough explosive offensive plays, kind of quote unquote, on their own against those two slash three defenses it's the lions twice um they're not they're not good enough with mullins a quarterback to do that they might have been with dobbs they certainly were with kirk it's not that way anymore so if you see them and you leave them on the field your chances of victory that little graph or it's going to start going down like you miss those shots that graph goes down uh we mentioned the rams they're the next team up here and they're another team where I would say their three-game schedule is manageable. The one hiccup they have is the 49ers. But if the 49ers are resting, guys, because remember... Ding, ding, ding. The Eagles situation can complicate things here in the sense that if either the 49ers or the Eagles have the one seed locked up by the last week, at this point, we're not entirely sure who's going to get it. One of them probably will. Um, but if they know who's going to be the one going into the last week, why would they send their guys out there? You know, if the best they can do is the two because they hold the tiebreaker over Dallas, like they're not going to send their guys out there unless they're playing for the one seed, which at this point, we're not entirely sure if they will be. So they could be playing against the Saints, who we're going to talk about in just a second, and then the Giants, and then maybe the second string of the 49ers. So the Rams actually have a decent path here. And not to be too presumptuous, but I've watched a bunch of Rams games this year. And if you let them in, I'm not 100% confident that they're not going to steal a game in the wild card round here. Like Matthew Stafford's playing out of his damn mind. Like he's been one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL this year. Like this this Rams team's not bad. Like they're actually pretty good. And I worry for the health of all these division winners that are going to have to go up against a very plucky Rams team if they make it in. Because again, other than probably the 49ers, like they got a shot at beating pretty much everybody in the NFC. Like, I mean, shit, they almost beat the Ravens like a week ago. If they can almost do that to Baltimore in Baltimore, like, mm-hmm. what do you think they're going to do to everybody else? Like, I'm just saying, like, they're not bad. The slate here looks pretty good. The Saints, definitely beatable. Giants, for sure. I think the Rams pretty much just outclass them at this point. And then the 49ers, like Brock Purdy getting dinged up in the game yesterday, probably opens this window even wider. That if there is any reason not to play him in the final week, because what derailed the 49ers from probably winning the Super Bowl last year? Injury. Injury in the playoff game. We were down in Vegas, the Shrine Bowl, watching that one over lunch. And guys, it was like, I remember you were doing a voiceover. <laughs> like I called to go pick you up and you're like, what's the score? Like, what <laughs> happened? I'm like, they're, they're all dead. Oh, yeah, like, that was that. I was sitting on the field at the Shrine Bowl trying to do a voiceover for a Bears episode. And then you yeah, came over and, and I, told me what was going on. I didn't I brought you, you lunch and you were like, <laughs> what? And I'm like, did... The juggernaut just fell apart. The wheels like literally fell off as we were watching. And knowing that, still having that sting from last year, having the reminder on Sunday that Brock Purdy is not immortal and boy, does a lot rest on that guy's shoulders. Like if there is any reason not to roll him and CMC and and other starters you care deeply about out in the final week of the season, they will not do it. They will protect themselves for keeping their eyes on the prize, winning the Super Bowl. So for the Rams, <laughs> that's a really good turn. So what's their key to getting in if they're going to beat those three teams? Believe it or not, 
little foreshadowing. It's a running back. It's Kyron <laughs> Williams. Uh, over the last month, Kyron Williams leads the NFL in attempts, yards. Yes, he has more yards than Christian McCaffrey over the last month. Rushes for a first down and missed tackles forced. Now, if you didn't know all of those things about Kyron Williams, it's okay. A lot of people don't watch Rams games, but Kyron Williams is on a tear. Like, Kyron Williams is leading the NFL right now. They are riding this guy. And it seems like forever ago when the Rams said to Cam Akers, hey, you don't want to get on board? You don't want to be a team first guy? We will ship you off for half a ham sandwich and go with Kyron Williams. And people are like, whoa, 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 what are you doing? McVay has his rules, and he's not going to stray from them. And that, if anything, strengthened this team and, oh, by the way, Kyron Williams is really freaking good. And I remember I compared him in his style of running when he was at Notre Dame to Warwick Dunn. And you were like, whoa, 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 it's too rich for me. And I understand that. We have those disagreements about lots of players where you're like, I don't see that. I didn't think he was going to have the same career as Warwick Dunn. I just said stylistically, he moves the same way. He's exceeded even my expectations with this opportunity, and he has taken it and, pun intended, run with it. And he is powering the Rams right now, as good as Stafford has played, and as much of the sort of headlines and bright lights as he is absorbing. And I think that's actually good for a guy like Kyron Williams to have the established star and everybody going, oh, the Rams are there because Stafford's playing great. It's true, but they're not going to focus and sort of pump up Kyron Williams, you have to dig a little bit deeper to see like how much of the fabric of this team he's supporting, but he absolutely is. And they've got to ride that hot hand through this last three games and really on through the playoffs if they want to make some noise. And I, like you, think they can. They play uh, the Saints this week, which I am going to that game, by the way. Uh, So if you're wondering if we're doing a TNF stream this week, we are not because I will be at SoFi watching that game in person, watching Kyron dominate in person. And that's probably the best transition we're going to get to talking about the Saints because the other side of the Kyron Williams coin here is the fact that the Saints have an atrocious run defense. So it's an incredible matchup for Kyron because New Orleans has the worst explosive run percentage allowed in the entire NFL at 15.8%, meaning roughly 16% of all runs against them are explosive. That's bad. That's like That's really, bad. really bad. <laughs> uh, the worst, or sorry, one of the worst yards per carry averages allowed at 4.6. I think it's third worst off the top of my head. Uh, and 40.5% of all yards against them are on the ground this year, which is the second highest ratio. Like that is... That's crazy. Now, of course, their pass defense is lower. I think it's like sixth in yards per game allowed or something like that. Uh, But a big reason for that is because teams know that they can just run the absolute shit out of the ball against New Orleans at will, and they're going to get yards. And so I imagine that this is going to be a big Kyron Williams game, uh, which is why, again, perfect transition here, EJ. When I did my underdog entry, for that game, I smashed Kyron Williams higher than 90, 91 and a half rushing, not 95, went down to 91 and a half, which is more than doable. That's actually fairly likely against this soft of a Saints defense. Uh, I also did Alvin Kamara higher than 56 and a half rushing, Cooper Cup lower than 74 and a half receiving, because I don't think that they're going to need him to get more than that. And then I did uh, Stafford lower than 268 and a half. But if you're new to underdog, you don't have to do that for Stafford uh, because there's a half yard special for him for that game. So if you just want basically credit for Matthew Stafford for almost showing up free, (laughs) just for showing up and writing his name on the paper, uh, as long as he gets half of a yard, you package that with Kyron and Kamara and Cup, you know, maybe make a couple bucks on this game that I'm sure many people are not super enthusiastic about watching and maybe an underdog entry will help make it a little bit more entertaining for you. Uh, of course, you can use the link in the description below. Use promo code bootleg. They'll match your deposit up to 100 bucks, and you get access to that Stafford special. Uh, I would say I feel more confident about this one than your typical entry just because week after week after week, I have watched this Saints run defense get gashed. Um I mean, shit, they allowed over 200 to Carolina of all teams. 
couple weeks ago, the Lions put up a buck 42. The week before that, Atlanta put up 228. The week before that, even the Vikings, who suck at running the ball, put up a buck 25. So, yeah, I feel pretty good about the Rams in this matchup. Um, the Saints do have a shot of making the playoffs. That's why we're talking about them. But literally, their only shot is to somehow be able to stop the run. Because if they can't do that, they are screwed. They are completely screwed. This is basically a playoff game for them. If they lose this, they are fucked. I mean, not mathematically, but like realistically, they got to do it. They have to stop the run in this game. They have to stop Kyron Williams or the season is effectively over. Yeah, this is a Dennis Allen sort of resume maker. He might be coaching for his job here. He is a defensive specialist, and he's going to have to have not one but two great days on defense uh, because one's not going to be enough. They play the Rams. Obviously, we said that. Then they're at the Bucks, and then they end up with the Falcons at home in the Superdome. You know, they can do it. The Saints are scoring right around 24 points per game. So there was a time where the Saints offense was left for dead. They went 30-something drives without a touchdown under Derek Carr. That was the middle of the season. They've righted the ship. They've managed to score just over three touchdowns a game last couple of games. So if Dennis Allen can dial up just enough defense to keep the Rams and the Bucks to about three touchdowns apiece, the Saints have a chance. You know, this is back to Dumb and Dumber. So you're telling me there's a chance. <laughs> Not saying it's a good chance, but there's a chance. And they're going to have to because if they don't do it against the Rams, they're out. If they don't do it against the Bucks, they're out. That game against the Falcons doesn't matter at that point. If they do it against the Rams and the Bucks, and they continue to score their same 24-ish points, game against the Falcons could have some real meaning. And that seems a lot more winnable. So here it's kind of like front-loaded schedule. Got to win against the Rams. If not, we don't care. If that, still got to win against the Bucks. If not, we don't care. If you win against those two, all right, chances are looking pretty good at that point. Before we get out of here, by the way, I know there's going to be a bunch of Packers fans that are wondering, ah, why didn't you talk about us today? I mean, it's mainly just because we couldn't fit every single team that's in the hunt in this episode or else we would have talked about the Texans so you know we didn't get to talk about the Texans in depth so we're not going to talk about the Packers in depth but I do acknowledge that yes mathematically they are in the hunt they have to win out and they especially have to beat Minnesota in week 17 like that is non-negotiable gotta do it do not pass go do not collect $200 they're playing Carolina this week god willing that's a manageable game for them I know things have been shaky but if they can't beat Carolina, <laughs> they got bigger problems, okay? Uh, but week 17, they got to beat Minnesota. And then it comes down to the Bears in week 18, and that is not a defense I want to play against right now. So, again, they're in it, and we'll monitor, and we'll probably end up talking about them uh, in week 17 or week 18 uh, when, when things shake out a little bit more. But wanted to get at least some talk about the Saints in because – there's a decent shot that after this Thursday, we will not be talking about the Saints again for the rest of the year. Uh, and speaking of Saints fans, I don't want to make it sound like we're just completely shitting on you guys. But because, I mean, there are some good things about the Saints this year. Like, truly, like Alvin Kamara has actually had a very good year. Um, he, he's put up some Herculean efforts in, in some of these games. Uh, their pass defense, like I said, uh, really good, despite the fact their sack rate is very low. It's like 26 the NFL and sack rate, but their their coverage unit's been pretty good this year. Like there's a lot of redeeming qualities about the Saints. Uh, but their their terrible run defense and their terrible situational offense in the red zone and third down has been a consistent problem the entire year. Every time every time we bring up New Orleans, it's talking about those problems. And I know Saints fans are tearing their hair out about it at this point. So uh I'd say the bones are good. Like the bones of the house are there, but there's there's some sneaky remodels that need to be done in the off season. And if the you're curb in, appeal is, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it, again, there, there's something there. It's just not, it's not quite ready. I would love Saints fans to chime in um, what their feelings are on the Derek Carr experience so far. Um, I will say, you know, there's children on this website, so be careful <laughs> when you're talking about Derek Carr. But I would love to get your honest feelings about how that how that is going so far, because in all likelihood, they're uh, they're going to be keeping him for 2024. So I don't know, get used to it. 
is what it is in many ways. But uh, you know, when we when we end this recording, I'll tell you what our what our shared Saints fan said about the Derek Carr experience. Oh, I know what he thinks about it. <laughs> yeah, I bet you do. And I've only heard the sober thoughts. I haven't heard the 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 lubricated ones yet. So. The unhinged ones. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, all right, we're going to get out of here. Thank you guys for uh, listening or watching, however you happen to consume this show. We'll be back again on Friday talking about uh, something playoffs-related and or draft-related. Uh, yeah, let us know in the comments yeah. what you want to hear about. So far, you've been pretty pretty vocal, and we've found a bunch of inspiration in those. We love it when uh, you let us know what you want us to talk about. Uh, we did get a suggestion if we could take one episode and do like a deep, deep, deep dive as a preview into one game. And considering this week Ooh. is 49ers-Ravens, which might be a Super Bowl preview, I would, I'd be interested in just doing like, here's everything you're possibly going to need to know about that game, and then we'll come back on, on next Tuesday's show and tell you everything we got wrong. But if you guys want to hear a very, 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 very deep dive into what is quite possibly the matchup of the year, let us know. Yeah, basically our Super Bowl show. Pretty much. I mean, yep. if I had to bet on two teams making it all the way, it's those two teams at this point. So tell us what you guys want us to do, or if you're interested in that, we'll be back in a few days. Uh, before we get out of here, I do want to thank our executive producers over in the uh, executive producer tier on Patreon. And we have a new one just signed up. Uh, thank you to Ike and O for becoming our newest executive producer he joins marat consti andrew liam connor and mike l in our little ring of honor that we got going up there uh, if you guys are also interested in supporting the show on patreon whether at the executive producer tier or below really any support is great uh, you can find that also at the link in the description uh, or if you're still somehow shopping for uh, holiday presents for you or somebody you love and uh you need a last minute idea. Check out Homage. We're wearing our bootleg hoodies right now that we got from Homage, but they also have the official NFL license. So you can get uh, pretty much anything you can think of related to your favorite NFL team or your loved one's favorite NFL team. Homage carries that. And uh, anything you guys buy at the link in the description, we get a cut of. So uh, with that, I think we got all of our promos out of the way. Thank you once again to all of our EPs. And with that, we'll see you in a few days.